This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. Welcome to a special Easter Sunday edition of Catholic Review Radio. With us today on the show is Myra Khan Adams, and we will be talking about the Shroud of Turin, believed by many to be the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. Adams is the executive director of signfromgod.org, a website that teaches about the Shroud of Turin. She is a media producer and religious political writer with numerous national credits. She was instrumental in getting an exhibit about the Shroud at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show, Myra. Thank you for having me, and happy Resurrection Sunday to all your listeners. Rejoice in the Lord today. Absolutely. Well, can you give us a brief history of the Shroud and how it came to rest in Turin, Italy? Boy, that would take um, quite a bit of time. Right. Um, let, let me skip to, first of all, uh, what the Bible says. Um, because what the Bible actually says is that they, uh, Peter and John entered the tomb on Easter Sunday, and they saw the linen cloths lying there. So we know there is a biblical basis for cloths after Jesus was resurrected. And of course, even before that, we know that Joseph of Arimathea asked for the body to be, to be given to him so he could wrap it. So we know he was wrapped in a linen shroud. We know that he and Nicodemus had, I think the Bible says 75 pounds of spices that they actually included into that wrapping. So that would also account for the shroud being one long sheet. It is approximately 14 feet, six inches, and it's three feet wide. And what that means is that there needed to be linen strips that would then bind all the spices to the body and that long piece of cloth. So that also accounts for some biblical translations say that the linen cloths were lying there. And some of the translations say there are strips of linen lying there. There's several different translations, but we do know that the linen cloth and cloths were lying in the tomb and they were seen. So that establishes right there on Easter Sunday that uh, the body was not there, but the cloths that he was wrapped in were there, which also lays the question if a body was going to be stolen. Why would the thieves unwrap the body? That's always a, always a good question <laughs> that I love asking people. That is a good question. So we know there is a biblical basis for the shroud. So we'll end right there for this moment. Why is the shroud then believed to be the burial cloth of Christ? Why is the image on it so unusual? Well, that really points to why millions of people believe it is in fact the burial shroud of Jesus, because the fact that there is a crucified image, an absolutely perfect image of a man that underwent the tortures and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that so mirror the gospel so perfectly in the, in the most amazing, mysterious way how every little mark that you read about in the Gospels is on this body. And 
what other cloth is there of a man that, that had died and his image is on the cloth? It has never appeared, which means that there is a mystery here that man has never been able to answer. Scientists have never been able to answer it because there are mysterious properties to that image that modern science cannot explain. Some of the things, obviously, there are bloodstains on the cloth. The image of the, the man who was crucified is like a 3D image. Those things are kind of hard to understand right off the bat, right? Uh, I think I, I've read somewhere that there were some tests of the bloodstains, and they are actually blood, and they're human AB blood. They're AB blood, male AB blood, which is an extremely rare blood type. And you realize that uh, many of your listeners would like to know that on, on the blood that's been tested on host, the Eucharistic mysteries, I don't think there's ever a time where there hasn't been an AB blood that whenever they've tested it, it's always AB blood. And the Sidarium of Oviedo, which I will, I'll talk about in a minute. I don't want to mm. confuse listeners if they've not heard of it, but that also has AB blood too. And this is an extremely rare blood type. So that just points to just one more mystery that the shroud has on it. You alluded to some of the scientific studies and the fact that they're not really conclusive, but one of the most prolific ones and one of the ones that, that a lot of people remember is that in the late 1980s, there was radiocarbon dating done by three different reputable labs. And those samples dated to the shroud to around the 13th century. What do those studies have to say about the cloth and why that time period well, that time period actually has been in dispute ever since the carbon data was concluded. It, it, the study came out in 1988. It, in fact, has been debunked. Uh, like So many aspects of it have been debunked. But what it actually does say is that the 1300s, actually, it was uh, late 1200s uh, into the 1300s is what it was dated to. There was, in fact, um, when the shroud has its actual timing where there is physical proof beyond a reasonable doubt that it in fact did date to it's about the mid 1300s when it first appeared and that that was in france when it first went on display so there is a, a coincidental dating to that but by no means does that mean that's you know the shroud is dated to that the carbon dating because it's been so debunked because of the way that they did it the shroud of course for centuries was on display it was owned by the royalty and it was always on display at weddings and coronations you know the best times they wanted to celebrate and they would um, have the shroud on display and the people held it on the corners they held it up on the corners just like you would you would you know a piece of cloth and what happened is there was many scientists that believe that there was in fact a re a reweave that was done on the exact spot where the carbon dating was actually where those samples were cut that that carbon carbon dating was tested those three different labs that you talk about they were taken from the same little piece in the corner so it's not like they took three different samples from three different parts of the cloth. They took one sample from one of the corners of the cloth, and they took that one sample and cut it into three samples and sent it to three different labs. Mm -hmm. Actually, about three years ago, there was a researcher that uh, finally asked for the, um, the raw data 
that the British Museum, which had ownership of this um, of, of the piece that they used and the data that they used, he was able to file a Freedom of Information Act and actually get that raw, raw data that literally had not been released since the late 80s. They were hiding it. And he ran the same some of the same tests and concluded that the results that they came up with were in fact absolutely not 100% clear and there needed to be more testing. But that's only one of the many reasons why the carbon dating has been so debunked because it actually makes no sense when you think about the mysteries that the cloth has. Of course, one of the leading mysteries besides the image itself is what we call the photographic mystery. And uh, I'm sure you're you're probably familiar with that one. I'll talk about that in mm -hmm. a moment. Yeah, I, you know, I think one of the theories that I've heard, heard most is that that instant at the resurrection, when life came back into the body of Christ, that's what caused the image onto the shroud. Is that the prevailing theory? What else is out there? Could medieval artists have created something like this with the painting techniques and the technology that was available in the Middle Ages? No. In fact, before the carbon dating was done, there was what's called STIRP, Shroud of Turin Research Project. That happened in 1978. They had their concluding study in 1981. And their conclusion, this was 40 scientists who were literally physicists and doctors and medical blood experts. They concluded that the shroud was not the product of an artist. And that is significant because people that say, oh, it was a medieval fake, a medieval artist did it. Well, who was that artist that knew about photography and the mysteries of photography 500 years before photography was even invented? Exactly. And that points to, besides the image itself, the greatest mystery is the photographic mystery, uh, which if you want me to talk about that, I, I'll be glad to explain it a little bit more to your, to your listeners. We might get to that after the break, because after the break, we're going to talk some more with Myra Khan Adams about the Shroud of Turin. This is Chris Gunty, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic News from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Although St. Bridget's Church in Canton has been demolished to make way for a new townhouse development in the neighborhood, the rectory remains ready for repurpose, and religious items from the altar to the statues have been transferred to other churches around the Archdiocese and beyond. The pastor, conventional Franciscan Father Dennis Grumsey, said every item inside the church, except for a few pews, have been given to other parishes for their new or renovated buildings. The stained glass windows, for instance, will be installed at Resurrection Parish in Ellicott City as part of its renovation, he said. Other items, including the altar and statues, will be used at St. Stephen's Parish in Bradshaw, which is building a new multi-purpose facility. The statues of the Blessed Virgin Mary that graced St. Bridget's Courtyard found a new home at St. Francis of Assisi in Baltimore. 
One of the items gone a little farther afield. The tabernacle now graces the day chapel at Atlanta Hartsfield Jackson Airport. Father Grumsey said friars who have a parish in nearby Jonesboro also take care of the chapel and minister at the airport. Jacob Wittenberg, president of Edgemont Builders, is overseeing the restoration of the turn of the 20th century rectory and construction of new townhomes now that the mid-20th century church has been demolished. Construction of the $700,000 modern townhomes are expected to begin in June pending city approval. Work should be completed by March of 2023. The rectory will be turned into apartments. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. Archbishop William E. Laurie is celebrating his 10th anniversary as the Shepherd of the Faithful in Baltimore, and in honor of this milestone, the Catholic Review is putting a special issue together that's due in mailboxes and in parishes later this month. On this Easter Sunday, everyone at the Catholic Review wishes you and your family a blessed and happy Easter season. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm Kevin Parks. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. We are back on Catholic Review Radio, talking with Myra Khan Adams, who spearheaded an exhibit about the Shroud of Turin that is currently appearing at the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Myra, we talked before the break a little bit about the mysteries here. What are the other mysteries around this shroud? Besides the image itself that is unexplainable, um, the second greatest mystery is what's called the photographic negative. What happened is the first time the shroud was ever photographed was in 1898. It was a man by the name of Secundo Pio. And the, he took the photo and of course there are these glass plates and he's developing the glass plate in the dark room. And he sees an image that is, he believes is the face of Jesus Christ and the whole full body image of, of Jesus Christ with all the wounds and the marks of crucifixion, he's seeing this image and he believes he's seeing Jesus. What happened ultimately is the, the, the people, the authorities in Turin and, and in the Vatican, the Holy See, didn't know what to do with this image because they, they were like as surprised as, as he was because the shroud itself is normally a very faint rust colored image. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you have a black and white image that it's like this has been hiding in the shroud for for centuries. So this image comes out and they literally were like, oh, you know, go away. (laughs) Uh, We don't know what to do with this, Um, bye. And it wasn't until 1931 was the next time that the shroud was photographed. And at that, the same thing came out. This photographic image came out. And of course, Secundo Pia, thank goodness he was alive and he actually was vindicated. But the the main thing is that the shroud itself, what they determined is in fact a negative image. And so when when it was photographed and then developed on film, they determined that the shroud then becomes a positive image. So it's kind of confusing. People call it the photo negative image, but that is that black and white image where you can really make out the face really well that people call the holy face. That in fact was not developed until 1898. So people that say the shroud is a medieval forgery goes back to how could this quote unquote medieval forger hide this photographic evidence 
that didn't come out until 1898. How could that person have done that when the idea of photography didn't exist until 500 years later? So that, in fact, is one of the is one of the greatest mysteries uh, that intrigues people, you know, to this day. That's unexplainable. Mm-hmm. The shroud is stored in a bulletproof airtight case to preserve it, even when it's on display. The last time it was available on public exhibition was 2010, right? No, no, no. It was 2015. 2015. Okay. And I was privileged to see it in 2010 when it was on display. Uh, It was also displayed online during 2020 for the people around the world to be able to pray for those affected by the coronavirus pandemic. When is the next time it's scheduled to be on display? Supposedly, this is not official, but supposedly it's supposed to be 2025. Normally, it has been at least 10 years. Now, the one that you saw in 2010, I was privileged to see it also, and I was privileged to see it in 2015. Um, normally, that, that 2015 one was, was probably a little early, but for the most part, it's a good you know 10 years apart. Mm-hmm. And 2025 will be a jubilee year, so that makes sense. Yes. So that, that would make sense, although there's nothing official about that. In fact, I asked someone the other day who, who actually is con, you know, totally connected with uh, people in Turin. I asked him, I said, when is this, has it been official when it's coming out? And he said, no, nothing official. And he, in fact, was going to check into it. But they will make a big announcement when, in fact, it does happen. But it's still a few years off. Of course, you know, the Pope can you know, have it on public display anytime he wants. Just like in right. 2010, they did the online you know, display. And that, that brought in millions of people all over the world to see it, too. Because the shroud itself is a source of comfort. It speaks to people. It says, I mm-hmm. understand your suffering. I have suffered. I'm with you in your trials. There's more to life than your brief time here on earth. And I've overcome death and you will too. Hold fast in your faith. I mean, that's ultimately the message of the shroud, uh, particularly on this Resurrection Sunday. The idea that people have the shroud to look at and can identify with the trauma and the sufferings of Jesus can comfort them as people go through their own trauma and sufferings. But the shroud is not needed for faith. No. It's because the shroud can be interpreted as evidence of Christ's death and resurrection and his sufferings does not mean that it, it, it actually is needed for your faith. People get mad. They say, oh, I don't need the shroud for my faith. It's like, well, you don't need it for your faith. Of course not. But what about doubting Thomas? I always like to bring up doubting Thomas because he didn't believe until he saw the wounds on Christ's hands. Well, I believe the shroud is, in fact, almost like a doubting Thomas of our time. The fact that the shroud has survived, which is even more of an amazing mystery, just like you said, it's in a bulletproof case. Mm. Well, it was it was practically destroyed so more times than you could imagine. Those weird marks that you see on each side of the actual figure of, of the man of the shroud were from a fire in the 1500s. And then you have in, in 1997, there was a fire in Turin. I mean, that's why it, in fact, is in that bulletproof, you know, fireproof case, because people want to destroy it. Mm-hmm. The idea that this could, in fact, be the real proof of Jesus's resurrection freaks people out. And it, it, right. it, people don't want to even like go there. They, they can't even wrap their arms around, particularly believers can. Right. But people who aren't celebrating today, I should say, it's Easter Sunday and they don't, you know, mowing the lawn or doing whatever they're doing, don't care about what happened today. You know, those people, maybe the shroud is for them because they maybe they need that kind of proof. But people that have mm-hmm. faith even without the shroud don't need that proof. But the fact that it's there 
also speaks volumes about the fact that Jesus lived and he died and was resurrected. And I believe that the shroud just is, is proof of that. But certainly, you know, we don't need that for our faith. Exactly. And since the shroud's not on display, you can't go see it. You can't stop by the cathedral in Turin and see it now. Maybe not until 2025. So how does this exhibit at the Museum of the Bible allow people to experience and learn about their shroud? Well, thank you for asking about that. Um, The exhibit opened on February 26th. It will run until July 31st. One of the most amazing things about the Museum of the Bible is they, they are so... Um, into detail and high tech. It's a wonderful museum if any of your uh, your viewers have never um, been to it before. Certainly it's worth a visit, particularly to see the Shroud exhibit. The most prominent feature of the Shroud exhibit is they have a replica that is a life-size replica that's made on linen that is a replica of the actual linen that is of the Shroud of Turin. This is flax that was that was grown in Italy and it was grown naturally. It was hand spun. I mean, they did everything they could to make this replica be exactly like the Shroud of Turin. And you can sit there in front of it and you can contemplate it and you can see the wound marks. Of course, you don't see the wound marks as, as much as you would with the actual photo negative, the black and white image, but the actual shroud itself ha- does have those wound marks on it. You can see the, you can see the blood stains, you can see the crown of thorns, you can see the spear in his side. You can see what I was like to say, there's four fingers. He only looks like he has four fingers because when they punctured the nail in his wrist is an, uh, and that this is an, an anatomical fact that when you puncture a, a wrist, there's a reflex that will make your thumb bend into the palm of your hand. So it's not like, like Jesus only had four fingers, but you don't see that thumb because that reflex from when they put the nail in his wrist it made it look like on the shroud that there's only four fingers. And that, in fact, is something that a medieval forger who supposedly painted the Shroud of Turin would have never put four fingers on Jesus. He would have never, he didn't, they didn't know. First of all, right. most artwork and most statues show the puncture wounds in the palm of the hand. Any church you go to, most churches you go to. Exactly. Don't have the, the the wounds to the wrist. They have it through the palm of the hands, which is not correct. The shot of turn shows it right. because it's it's physical. The Your body cannot hold the, the weight. So they did that. The Romans were very smart. So rather than rip the hands, they literally put the nails through the wrist because the wrist is able to sustain the weight a lot better. So, I mean, that's one of the, that's not even a mystery. The fact that they, there's only four fingers that show on the, right. on the, the man of the shroud, as we like to say, but you can see that clearly on the replica. So going, going to the museum of the Bible and contemplating that replica is like seeing the shroud on display. Uh, and then of course they, they go into a lot of the different mysteries and the history and the photo negative. Um, they have a, a booth about that. Um, they talk about when it was you know first photographed. And then they have a contemplation room which people can write about how the exhibit affected them. And I think you know that's wonderful too to read how um, people experienced it and what it meant to them. And I can actually read you a few of them because I had gone when it uh, when it first opened. Uh, it had been open just like a day, and people were already you know writing some of their thoughts. 
and I wrote a, a, an article for townhall.com on the day that the shroud opened. And um, the, the day before I had seen some of these comments and some of them were, were just amazing. We're unfortunately not going to have time for that because we are running out of time. But uh, the nice thing is that, that we know that people can uh, see that at the museum. I just want to let people know that the official website for the Museum of the Shroud in Turin is sindone.it. That's S-I-N-D-O-N-E dot I-T. Sindone is the Italian word for shroud. But where else can people get information about the shroud through either your website or about the exhibit in Washington, D.C.? They can go to museumofthebible.org and uh, they can find more information about the exhibit there. Uh, they can go to my website, which is called signfromgod.org. And signfromgod.org has uh, quite a bit of information on it. And I think one of the best places to find out every detail of information you ever want to know about the Shroud is a website called shroud.com. And I always joke that that's the Library of Congress of the Shroud. But there is anything you ever want to know about the Shroud is cataloged on shroud.com. And in fact, what's interesting about shroud.com is they, in fact, they, re they really have seen a real uptick in visits to their shroud.com website. There is, there is so much interest in the shroud across the country, across the world. It's growing all the time because as time goes on and science still cannot explain why this image exists on the shroud and why these mysteries prevail that scientists cannot explain, it makes people wanna know more about the shroud. So there's, there's a growing interest about the shroud and uh, you can learn so much about the gospels. The gospels literally are displayed. The suffering of Jesus as written in the gospels is displayed on the Shroud of Turin. And that's something to keep in mind, especially on this day, on this resurrection Sunday that changed the world. We've been talking today with Myra Khan Adams about the Shroud of Turin and what it says about the Paschal Mysteries. Thank you so much for being with us today, Myra. Thank you for having me. This is Christopher Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.